You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by the Breeders' Cup. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It is Tuesday, September the 20th. It is the most beautiful autumn morning here in TW11 as we rejoin you after the extended weekend. Uh, the funeral of Her Late Majesty Queen Elizabeth II taking place here in London yesterday. Lee Mottishead is the senior writer from the Racing Post. And like everybody else here and many people around the globe, Lee, you were watching every frame of the coverage of, of the funeral yesterday and we're writing it up for the for the Racing Post. You've also conducted a, an extensive interview with John Warren, uh, Her Majesty's racing manager for, for so many years. Uh, and he he really did fill you in on on that that private passion that we've spoken of so extensively over the last ten days or so. Um, just just talk to me about your thoughts from yesterday and the weekend and your your conversations with him. Well, starting with with yesterday, Nick, I thought it was uh, immensely moving, as one would expect. There is a lot, I think, in this country at the moment, in, in Britain, the United Kingdom, that is wrong and that, that has gone wrong in recent years. But I thought what we saw yesterday was uh, this country getting something very right in the way it said goodbye to the Queen. I thought it would be very difficult for anybody who watched the, the, the ceremonies yesterday not to have been affected by them. Um, I, for myself personally, watching it, I thought that the bit that got me most was when uh, Her Majesty's coffin was placed within the Royal Hearse at Wellington Arch and then driven slowly away to a playing of the national anthem without, without words. We weren't singing God Save the King. And I said in the Racing Post piece, I thought that was a point where Her Majesty briefly reclaimed the anthem because we were thinking of her at that moment and I thought the whole way through it was done beautifully with I thought sometimes it was the little personal touches as well Nick that um, struck me most things like as others have pointed out the corgis there at Windsor and the pony um, Emma Her Majesty's famous pony just there to the side of the long walk with her headscarf Her Majesty's headscarf on the saddle on the back as a back of the pony as, as the procession went past i thought that was exceptionally poignant and just linking back to the, the conversation nick you you referenced there with with john Warren, which i was very fortunate to have i went to see him on on saturday at his home um sat in a room where he said her majesty had sat on in many occasions um and he told me this 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 story which i i used to open the, the interview in the Racing Post is in our special uh, souvenir supplement today of a day just two months ago when John, the Queen's Racing and Blussing Advisor, recognising that mobility issues were making it harder for Her Majesty to get around, that it would be difficult for her to tour uh, her farms with her yearlings in because of those mobility issues. He arranged with the Royal Studs team for a selection of those yearlings, 15 horses, to be brought to the Royal Muse at Windsor. Um, and on a July day, so just two months ago, Her Majesty, he saw drive from Windsor Castle to the Royal Muse, get out of the, the car, a Jaguar, 
and with a big beaming smile say to him guess what and he replied what your majesty what ma'am uh, i'm not stiff to which he asked well why would you be stiff ma'am because i rode yesterday um and i thought that line and then seeing emma yesterday on the side of the long walk greatly affected me and just stories right towards the end nick as well of those final days at balmoral when she was looking at when she was looking at the mating plans for her mares quite remarkably when a lady of 96 who wasn't in the greatest of health at that point looking at mating plans for the future um calling taking a call with 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 bill farish the part owner of Flightline, hearing him talk about Flightline, who who won that weekend at at Delmar, she was she was racing right to the very end. It stayed with her all the way through to the end of her life. It was important right the way through to the end of her life. And as John Warren was saying, or says in in the interview, his his part sadness, part poignancy, part 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 excitement as well. Though is that the Queen might well have bred her best ever crop of yearlings. He thinks the current yearlings are the best she's ever produced and that potentially there might be that 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 great horse within them that we would all long to see. Lee, with reference to Her Lane Majesty, Bruff Scott, your colleague in the, in the Racing Post and a writer on horse racing for probably longer than he cares to remember, headlines his piece today, Our Sport Was Lauded As Her Favourite Pastime. Now we must show we deserved it. And that's extremely uh, apposite because over the next two days, horse racing's leaders are meeting for a strategy summit somewhere in London. Am I exaggerating to say we've got 48 hours to save the sport in the UK? That's, that's a strong line, Nick. I like that. Um, I'm hoping you are um, exaggerating there when you say that, but I think you're maybe not far off uh, in the sense that this is a key a key time for the sport, a key moment. Um, these two days, which had been set to go across Monday, Tuesday, now Tuesday, Wednesday, because of the, the funeral yesterday, are pivotal because they will hopefully help to determine not just the issues that are um, impacting on the sport now, of which there are many we know about the inadequate prize money about the the movement of quality horses to other jurisdictions poor attendances poor field sizes uh crisis with summer jumping etc etc this has to tackle not just those issues but the bigger picture the bigger themes um and that's what these 18 senior figures uh, that number comes from a piece my colleague bill barber has written the post today. 18 senior figures will be talking about when they meet in london today the indications i think so far have been positive um you've spoken um on on the pod and on lock on sunday with some senior stakeholders including charlie parker and joe swammer smith on sunday racing post has spoken to people like julie harrington today uh, bha chief executive and they are all saying the right things um I thought Wilf Walsh, the, the RCA chair and the Race Horse Association chair, was on the money when he said we have to be looking at not so much how the cake is divided, but how we can make the cake bigger. And that has to be that has to be the overriding aim. How do we make this sport more successful so that there, there are less there's less need to squabble about who gets what because they're all getting more? But of course, we have to find 
the right answers. And I hope that central to all these discussions is the, the, the thought in people's heads that whilst these are industry stakeholders, that they are talking about something that is not just an industry, but a sport. Um, we reference in, in our coverage, you've referenced how much the, the Queen adored horse racing as a sport. Many other people do, and it has to work as a sport. So I, I hope that that is central to their thinking today. They have two days of conversations. We know that although the strategy talks are starting today, that much work has already taken place. Interviews with those stakeholders have taken place. They will know before they go into the room what their general thinking is and what their positions are. What we need over two days is to have give and take. We need to have compromise. And we need to have people able to see that bigger picture, not just the here and now, so that the industry, but also, as I say, most importantly, the sport can thrive in the future. So so let's concentrate on the sport then and a, a retirement. And I'm, I must confess to feeling rather sad at the retirement of, of Freddie Head, a brilliant rider, uh, won his first arc well over 50 years ago, uh, forever associated with the wonderful Miesque as a rider and then trainer of multiple Group 1 winners as a trainer, Marchandor and Solo and Goldikova and, and so many others. He he joins me now. Freddie, I, I thought this would, would go on and on, but you've just announced your decision to, to retire. J- just tell me what's prompted that now. Well, you know, uh, I started riding. My first winner was, I was 16. And since then, I have never stopped. Uh, when I stopped racing my um, jockey's career, uh, I, I took on training uh straight away so uh, i feel now that i need a bit of rest and uh, with my age uh, i need um maybe i can have a little little uh, holidays for a, a few years i i i i did i must confess that to being quite surprised when i when i saw your your age because you you've always seemed uh, kind of ageless and so and so and and so young is it is it not is it not racing that's kept you that way well maybe maybe you know i've been riding for 30 33 years and of course uh, the diet and all this keeps you um in good form i i guess um but uh but still you know the age is there i mean uh uh, training training is not a difficult thing but you have to be there uh, almost every day so you don't have much time uh, for other things so uh, I feel like uh, now I've I've got enough um, what what will the future hold for you do you think what what would you like to prioritize now what would you like to do well I'm gonna I'm gonna travel a bit uh, I've got grandchildren uh, I can I can take a bit of time, you know, not waking up every morning early, six o'clock and things like that. You know, it's getting a bit uh, a bit difficult now. And the the head dynasty continues, doesn't it? Because your both your children are training. Is that is that right? Two of your children training. I'm I'm very happy because I've got my son Christopher, who's doing really well. He's winning plenty of races. And I, my daughter, Victoria, is starting to. She's had 
places uh, in good races right now. So uh, I've got a lot of things to look after when I when I stop. That that must be rather lovely for you in a way because obviously you you riding and and training alongside your your sister cricket for so many years and now you've got your own children brother and sister both 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 training at the at the same time. Yes, I'm very happy, very happy. I'm very fortunate to have uh, such a, such a happy life. And Freddie, just looking back on the on the training career particularly. Uh, obviously, you'll be forever associated with Goldakova and her multiple wins in the Breeders' Cup, a 14 group or grade one wins. Uh, for you personally, which which horse, which victories meant meant the most to you for whatever reason? Uh, well, it's hard to say. Um, I've got uh, a, a lot of races uh, that have uh, that have been important in my career. Well, for the first time, it's that. Marchand d'Or was a fantastic sprinter, who was my first Group 1 winner when he won the Maurice de Geest at Deauville. Uh, that was most important. Then, of course, winning the Bridges Cup with Goldie Cover. And I've got all those uh, races in England, too. Uh, the three Group 1s with Solo. Uh, no, I've got a lot of races. I've all, they're all important for me. So um, I have a lot of choice. There are very few top-class jockeys who make that transition fairly seamlessly to, to training top-level winners. For you, how did you find the transition? When you stopped being a rider and, uh, and became a trainer, was it difficult to start with or did you, did you slide into it quite easily? No, it was, quite, it was difficult. I always thought I was going to be a trainer. When I was riding, I always, you know, I was always uh, criticizing a bit of trainers. I was always uh, thinking about uh, what I would do with the horses I was riding. But um, when I started, it was a bit difficult to, uh, for me to, you know, to change because uh, training is a different game. You don't, uh, you don't feel the horses with your hands and your with your legs. It's more the, the the eye, and then of course you have all those uh, people around you, and you have uh, your own stable staff. Stable staff. It's another. It's another. It's another experience. Another world. But um, I was very lucky because I had good 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 owners. That's very important, and. Um, that that keeps you, you know, going uh, in the right direction. So those those owners, of course, included included your own your own late father, who who left such a, a huge impact. And I I was thinking of him an awful lot over the the last week or so because of his own uh, friendship with with her late Majesty the Queen. I mean, there can't have been two people in Europe more aligned in terms of a a, a love for the thoroughbred. Absolutely, absolutely. My father was a very, very extraordinary man, and so was Her Majesty. So, um, and uh, I remember, you know, when she came at the at the start farm, in our start farm, and uh, uh, they're great, great souvenir, great souvenir. Wonderful memories, and so many great memories from you for the from the riding career and the training career. As, as you pointed out, you won your first arc back in 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 1966 do those do those riding days still still remain as vivid in your in your memory now 
Yes, they are. Because uh, since I was a little boy, I always wanted to be a jockey. So um, for me, jockey was my my main my main thing. And uh, uh, even today, I think I'm still a jockey. You you talk about your your daughter Victoria and your son Christopher now now training in their in their own right. Are you? Are you happy to to slip into the into the shadows, or will will you be there to give a guiding hand where it's needed? Oh, I will. I will come around in training and see. I I will have some some horses owned by myself, and they, they will train them. So I uh, will keep in touch, of course. But I let them do. I mean, you know, training is a very special thing, and you have your own uh, your own. Uh, thinking and uh, it must be it must be you and you can't uh, you can't give you can't you know be uh, give your your own feeling it's it's very special freddie heather who's announced his decision to retire what a career it's been lee motter said he has been a, a towering figure in in european sport he is a, a, a towering figure in in the sport he really is. I mean, I, I find it very hard to believe that he has not recently celebrated his 75th birthday because you certainly wouldn't uh, think that. Um, I was, again, I, I should have known this off the top of my head, but I was also semi-amazed to be reminded that he rode the winner of the Prix de Luc de Triomphe in 1966. You know, he has been around for an awfully long time. Um, as you say, had uh, in the most enormous success as a jockey. Had a very competitive time in French racing because he was riding against another French riding legend, Yves Samata. But as a trainer, um, he has done extremely well too. He had to wait a long time before saddling his first Group 1 winner, uh, Marchandor. But I think what has been notable through the training career of Freddie Head is how adept he has been at getting good horses to stay good for a long time. Marchandor won the Maurice de Geest three times. Moonlight Cloud won the same race three times. And we all remember Goldikova, a triple winner of the Breeders' Cup Mile. Those were horses that he managed to retain uh, their ability and keep them competitive and keep them hungry for a long time. Um, and I thought there was a, a quote that he gave to uh, my colleague Scott Burton um, when we ran the story of Freddie's retirement that I found particularly uh, interesting, but also particularly touching. He said, I don't know why they all lasted in their careers. I suppose, firstly, they have to be very good. You couldn't have done that with any old horse. And then you have to love them. And I thought that was fantastic. Uh, very elegant is now in training in Shanti. We've given her plenty of coverage on this show, including with owner Bray Sokolsky last week. Uh, but they have announced that they are going to go for the arc. They're going to roll the dice and have a crack. And frankly, Lee, why not? Yeah, why not? Um, I had half thought they might go uh, the uh, Royalio route on the Saturday of Arc Weekend because it's a mile and six where she definitely saved the trip and it would have been an easier option. But against that, there, are, there hardly seems much point in having brought Very Elegant all the way from the Southern Hemisphere to the Northern Hemisphere, um, given all she had already achieved, if you were just going to try and grab one of the softer group ones in the, in the European pattern. The arc is the biggest one of all. And although I think it would be 
hard to look at what Very Elegant has achieved in on her two runs in Europe think she's going to win the arc. Something within me just thinks she will run a lot better than most people think. As I've said on this pod in the past, Nick, um, I absolutely adore Very Elegant. There's a beautiful uh, print of Very Elegant on one of my walls. Uh, I have followed her uh, Australian career religiously, and I think she's fabulous. And I did think it was a, a, a regrettable move to take her to Europe, having achieved so much at and at that stage of her racing career. However, there was much more to be uh, pleased about in her run last time it suggested that there's still a real fire within her and if we did happen to get a properly truly run arc i could just see her finishing very well down the home straight and being there or thereabouts and it wouldn't be the biggest shock in the world if she went close so i i i I would love to see her win it i don't think she will do but i think she run a much much better race and a lot of people will be expecting lee let's just talk about what's been happening on the course over the last week or so it's been it's been Roger Varian's September so far hasn't it with his victory in the ledger and then seven winners on Saturday including Sakir who's one of the most exciting horses we've seen out this season Sakir for you the two-year-old winner of the Mill Reef is he a is he a guineas horse for next year or or is he a sprinter well the 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 way connections had initially been talking about him one would have thought they viewed him as a sprinter but Roger talking today has said that Sakir is likely to be supplemented for the Dali Dewhurst stakes on future champions day. And I think that is extremely sensible. Certainly the way he finished off the mill reef stakes suggested to me that here was a horse who was at least worth trying over seven furlongs. They will learn a lot more about it. And I think I would, I would rather if I was uh, part of the Sakir entourage know um, in early October of his two-year-old season whether he's likely to be a Guineas horse than training him for a Guineas in the spring next year when he's not a Guineas horse. You know, I'd rather know now than find out in the spring and have his plans, his early season preparations uh, damaged. So I think it's a, it's a really good move. I think the in general terms, the Mill Reef Stakes, I think, is a, is a race sometimes struggle to really produce uh, stars, I thought this year it looked like it very much did do. Um, albeit, as you said, Sikia comes from a stable in absolutely red hot form. It was only the previous weekend that Roger won the St. Ledger with Eldar Elder off a horse who races in the same colours as Sikia. Um, but Roger clearly is um, the hottest trainer around at the moment and he's also just consistently one of the best he's one of the shrewdest guys around he's also one of the most decent guys around in in the training room so i think we all would celebrate his success well there's a lot of horses we're looking forward to seeing around about the time of arc weekend and not all of them in the arc itself one such is nashua who of course won the prix de diane earlier in the season and then came and won the the nassau stakes at glorious goodwood trained by john and thady gosden and running in the colours of Imad Al-Sagar, to whom I spoke earlier on, and he gave me a report on Nashua's well-being. She's doing fine. She's in good shape. Uh, the target would be the pre de l'Opera, an arcs day. This is the, the original plan. Huh? That's on the 2nd of October, I believe. 
So that's that's the plan at the moment to go for the Prix de l'Opera, and I know that that's a that's a win in your in race for the Breeders' Cup. Is that is that still uppermost in your mind if she comes through the Opera well? Is that something you'd like to to attack? Very correct. Uh, the, uh, the Breeders' Cup was uh, also the second target. If all goes well. And are you getting are you getting positive reports about how she's done? I, I know Holly spoke earlier in the season about how every time she rode her, she seemed to be getting bigger and stronger and just was physically thriving. Yes, that's that that's the case since the beginning of the year. She has developed physically in a in a very impressive way, and the, uh, the and and mentally too. So in every race, every race, she's she's an improving type, and I think, having said that, I think uh, Nick uh, she'll be a better filly next year because her dam uh, uh, made her best at four. With a filly like this, who's very valuable, and you're a breeder, and you want to produce champions from her, you're quite happy to go on and race her as a four-year-old. Yeah, I think she deserves to have a see. This year we we didn't want to overdo it, but I think uh, a filly with that caliber and quality, uh, I think we have to give her a chance to see the boys next year. And, and just, to, I know we spoke about this a little bit earlier in the season, but I think that might have come before her most recent Group One win. Um, just try and describe the pleasure she's given you relative to to some of the great horses you've had in the in the past. Obviously, people will remember you've had a Derby winner in Authorized, but is this a, is this a deeper pleasure in some respects? Definitely, Nick. This is uh, Nashua is my first homebred, and it does have a, a very different taste. Authorized, uh, it is true that he won the Derby for me, but he wasn't my breed. This is a a completely different uh, picture. Well, you might remember last week I interviewed uh, owner Mick Mariscotti, who with his wife Janice has bought a whole succession of horses. I'm not going to say cheaply because no racehorses are really cheap, but relatively inexpensively from uh, book one at Tattersall's and and a a few of book two as well. Uh, He's netted himself the... Um, 300th awarded book one bonus of £20,000 courtesy of Glenn Finnan um, who won at Yarmouth last week and was second in the con- uh, convivial maiden at, uh, at York and looks quite an exciting prospect. Andrew Balding, the trainer, joins me now. The, the Mariscotti bandwagon rolls on. Another bonus. Yeah, Nick, I've, I mean, we've been obviously lucky, fortunate um, with what we've bought, but they've, you know, Mick and Janice come back every year and have a go and, and are particularly attracted to if we can get something in book one um, to, to that sale, I mean, and, and the book one bonus obviously helps, particularly if you're buying at the lower, the lower end of the scale. Um, it's it's a it's a really nice initiative. Could you have another smart one on your hands for them here? Do you think? Yeah, I, I th- really like the, the way he ran at York. I mean, the convivial's always a strong maiden. 
Um, and he was, yeah, he won with authority at Yarmouth. Time will tell whether it was a good run, uh, whether it was a good race, or how deep it was in, in terms of the opposition. But uh, he's a horse we like, and I think he, he should train on and develop into a really nice serial. You can see the klaxons going all, 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 all over the shop here, because your winner of the Convivial the previous year was who you mal, who you were second in the derby with. Uh, Massa Kayla ran in their colours as a two-year-old and, and as a three-year-old was fourth in the derby for them. So I'm, I'm seeing all the portents to, to Epsom. Well, he's by Harry Angel. I don't so think he, might, he might struggle. He won't be staying further than a mile. I wouldn't have thought, but I, I would like to think he could be a Ascot class horse. Maybe a Britannia horse would be would be lovely. And but he's not a sprinter. No, no, certainly that he looked to stay the mile strongly there. Um, so, well, who, if you'd asked me this time last year, I would have said Mazzucchelli wouldn't stay further than a mile. So, um, you know, who, who knows? But I think he's an unlikely Derby candidate. But uh, very much, we're hoping a, a Royal Ascot performer. Of course, you may well have a Derby candidate for next year, mightn't you? Even at, at this stage, looking at some of the two-year-olds you've got. Yeah, we've, we're quite lucky with the strength we've got in, in the two-year-old cult department, certainly. Um, uh, t- long way to go, obviously, but that's that's the holy grail. That's the, the big dream that one of them might um, develop into a genuine Derby contender. Who do you think your best two-year-old is? I think Chaldean's the, the best. Um, obviously, he's, he's looked it so far, but I've got a couple of unraced horses there and a couple of once raced horses that might be come up and surprise us i hope um certainly got some some talent and uh it's very early days for some of them with the middle distance pedigrees and um you know later developing types of horses really you don't know till the spring next year um so but lots to look forward to Well, it is Tuesday, which means we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's. Back to France today, to Normandy, where I'm delighted to check in with Patrick Chedeville, who owns and manages the Arras du Petit Tellier, which is one of the oldest farms in France, located near Sévigny in the lower Normandy region and founded all the way back in 1850. Patrick, very good to welcome you to the show. I gather you are the, the fifth generation uh, owner of uh, of Petit Tellier. Just just take take me all the way back to, to where it all started. Inspiration of the Chedville has bred in Normandy and started with Celebrate at the very beginning here in France around 1860. And Inspiration uh, has spread on his own farm, but all different farms at each generation. So tell me a little bit about the farm that you are on at the moment, the land that you are that you are on. Yes, well, uh, the, the the property at the beginning belonging to my mother, and uh, as my parents got married, my father wanted well he wanted to set up as a breeder, so he slowly trans- tried to transform the farm as a stud. And, uh, and then after that, he started to to have his own horses, stallions, and everything, and breed and breed and sell yearlings at the at, at Deauville at the time. And, and so, from from a young man, were you always always destined to 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 be part of this industry? Is it something that you always wanted to do? Well, yes, because I love to be in the countryside. I love animals, and uh, I thought this, this is just what I needed. I mean, uh, it was easy for me to choose, no doubt. I didn't want to do anything else, but but to follow my father and and and, and my grandfather as well. So, Patrick, tell me a little bit about your your father's successes, the success that you can remember when you were were growing up. What were his most notable horses? 
Well, his most notable horses was uh, Ashford Princess, who won the, <coughs> the, 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 two, the 1,000 guineas and was second in the in a Pridjan, in a French Oaks, beaten by Mississippi at the time. He also bred another very good horse, another 2,000 guineas winner, Adamastor, also was bred on a farm, Farley, another 2,000 guineas winner. And, uh, well, many others, of course, that I don't, don't think of at, at the moment, but it was about... Uh, that the best success of my father were in, in the mid 60s and uh, from that he, well, he started to to have stallions which succeed well as well so he was quite a successful person Patrick I wanted to talk about the stallions that you're standing now um, and a horse that everybody certainly in the UK and Ireland will be very familiar with is, is the Grey Gatsby when he retired to study he was the highest rated son of master craftsman his first crop are now three how happy are you with the way his career is going well very happy i mean it's been a, it's been some time since i've i had this uh, such a good stallion with good success uh with uh, abroad with two two black type winners in germany he's now has a a group three winner uh, as a three-year-old in in at longchamp uh, a fortnight ago and uh, many, many winners around. So uh, it seems that the, this horse, which was rather, rather cheap, I mean, he was standing for 7,000. So he didn't get really the best mares of, of the country. But that, that, uh, as far as I know now, I'm very quite sure that he's, he's improving the mares because uh, they all go well to the track and run well and and there's got stamina and, and some speed. So we are very happy so far, yes. Okay, and he, he covered 110 mares in his first season. By French standards, is that quite a lot? Well, you know, uh, the stallions, successful stallions always have a lot of demand. And uh, 110 mares is what we could call a full book. But uh, he covered 120 mares uh, in 2022 but I see that among the stallions are, uh, in Normandy uh, reach up, up to 160, 70 mares which I think is quite a lot and, and uh, I'm afraid difficult to offer a good service you know uh, it's difficult to get in between to, to be covered so uh, I'm thinking of uh, reducing the Greek has to be 220, no more than that, because then after that, very difficult to provide a good service to and me. He's already had three stakes winners, and that, that's just in his first first crop. So clearly clearly going to be a, a big success by the looks of it. Well, I think so, yes. I'm going to have a Assemblée Générale uh, during the October sales uh, for the yearlings at Deauville. And uh, we're going to try to think of if it's uh, op- it's a good opportunity to raise up the, the nomination, I mean, the, the fee. We'll, we'll see what comes out of that. You've got Elvstrom as well and, and Mr. Owen. Uh, how, how are they doing? Well, Mr. Sturm, is, he come from Australia. He was a champion there in, in Europe. Uh, 
Uh, I must say, he's 22 now, so he's going, he's about to retire, really. He's not really anymore very commercial. But uh, he had some good winners. A bit disappointing, I have to say. And then the other one, Mr. Owen, is is a Invisible Spirit stallion with a very good pedigree, good-looking horse. So he's having, he, he already had a good winner as a two-year-old in... Um, in the southwest, uh, promising, promising young, young to you all. So, you know, with Invincible Spirit Stallion, anything can happen, I think. So oh. we'll see and wait to see uh, if he's going on as well as, as Greg Gatsby would be. Thanks to Patrick and to all my guests today. Lee Mottishead is still with me and has a bit of advice for you this Tuesday afternoon. Well, my main advice, Nick, is to get yourself near a TV screen or even better, get yourself to Beverly at about 3.27 because they've got a really good little conditions race. The Eddie and Violet Smith condition stakes over five furlongs. I think we associate Beverly with quality sprints. They've got one today. Some well-known names like Acclam Express, uh, Judicial and the horse. I'm going to go with King of Stars. He has uh, incredible early speed in his races. He hasn't quite been able to last home in his most recent starts, but I, I think he might well be able to today. So I'm going to go with King of Stars in the 327 at Beverly. Okay. Do you think do you think his owner might be might be confident of his chances today? Has, has Mr. Resdale been tweeting something? Well I don't know. I was I was going to see if I could if I could um find out. I think it's I, I think that would be well worth doing. Let's let's uh, let's let's see if he answers. Oh, sorry. I, I thought. Oh, 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 no, are we are we broadcasting at the moment, Nick? Is this, yeah. is this part of the pot? Is it? Well, it could, this is remarkable. It could be if he answers the phone, but he's not answering the phone. Hello. Hi, Bill. Yeah. Hi. Hi, Nick. Um, yeah. Just just on with Lee Lee Mosshead at the moment, and he's just um, he's just tipped King of Stars this afternoon at, at Beverly. Can you give the pod listeners any encouragement? Yeah, plenty of encouragement. I'm not going. So the curse is lifted. I followed him all season, and I've been the pot that stopped him winning. So I think today he's got brilliant chance. Brilliant chance. Small field, fast ground, in great form. Yeah, really positive. Just you know, look, Acclam Express is probably the one to beat, but we'll give it a damn good go from the front. Well, there you go, Bill. Thanks so much. Bye. No worries. Bye. King of Stars then for Lee at Beverly. Thank you very much, Lee. Thank you very much for listening. That was Tuesday, the twentieth of September. We'll see you again tomorrow. Bye bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.